enjoyed worshiping with you this uh, this morning. It's just it's been a really beautiful weekend. I'm really excited that uh, that Ken is able to uh, to fill in for me next week. He's you know he's been he's been out of commission for a while with his with his health issues. Um, but when I knew that I was going to be gone, I asked him, and he, without hesitation, said, yes, I'll do it. So please be here to support Ken next week. I think it's going to be really good. Uh, if, if there's one thing about Ken, you know that what he shares is always coming from the heart. Uh, always, always, always. And so just be here to support him. That would, uh, that would be, be great. He'll really, really, really appreciate that. Uh, if you've got your Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 this morning, as we're continuing to, to, roll through, uh, to roll through this story. And if you've not been with us throughout this series, which we've got a number of visitors with us this morning, so I'll, I'll catch you up just a bit. The book of Acts is the story of God's church coming into being, where Jesus goes to them and he says, hey, look, here's what's fixing to happen to you. Power is going to come on you. In fact, I've got it right here. You're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And if you've paid attention throughout this book, you have seen that that is exactly what has happened. As you know, it sort of began in Jerusalem, it's begun to branch out wider and wider and wider and wider. Do you remember our message a few weeks ago called Ripple? That was the whole idea. Like when you drop a, a, a stone in a pond, it ripples out. That is what has been happening as the church has begun to spread. And it's this movement where lives are being changed. Thousands and thousands of lives have been changed by the message and by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that didn't just happen then. We've seen lives be changed here among us through this story. As we welcome, as a matter of fact, I'm going to put them on the spot right now. And let's just praise God again for the new births of Davis and Brooke. Praise God for that. Last Sunday. Because the power of God has the ability to change lives. Sorry about that. It'll never happen again this sermon. But this is what we've seen happen as the church has spread and spread and spread and spread and spread. And so last week we looked at the story of Saul and his life changing as he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, remember, where he was going to find Christians, arrest them, drag them back to Jerusalem, have them tortured, and maybe even killed, all because they believe in Jesus. But remember, while he was on the way, he encountered Jesus. Jesus moved into his life and said, hey, why are you doing this? You're not doing a good thing, you're doing a bad thing. You're hurting the church. Paul changed his life, gave his life to Jesus. And this this guy who was, I mean, he was a thug. Okay, that's, I mean, there's no better way to say what he was doing than he was a thug who was harming people, 
who was hurting people, locking them up, oppressing people. But his life has been changed, and now he's going to start unlocking people through the power of Christ. He's going to start pointing people in a different direction. But before we get there, we have this incredible encounter that happens to Peter. Peter, in Acts chapter 10, he's just kind of, he's hanging out. And then what the author of this book, Luke, tells us is that there is a man by the name of Cornelius. And it says a couple things about Cornelius. One, that he is a God-fearer, which means that, uh, that he's not a, a Christian, okay? He's not, it also means he's not a Jew, but it means he fears God. He respects God. He likes what God is about. And he prays to God often. It says he's devout, says he's well-respected, but it also gives us another thing. He is a soldier. He's a centurion over lots and lots and lots of soldiers, okay, of the Italian regiment, which means he belongs to the oppressors. Got it? You ever wondered why it tells us that he's an Italian there? It's so that we know he's a Roman. Rome is the occupying force in the world, okay? But yet, here you have one of these Romans who prays to God. Who knows why? Maybe he's tired of the polytheistic gods of Rome that he can't keep up with, and he's tired of trying to constantly appease that, that, that may spare him and may not. And so he's heard about this monotheistic, this, this one God that the Jews pray to. And for whatever reason, he likes it, and so he begins do the same thing. He begins praying to this God. And then one day while he's praying, this guy who is not part of the, 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 the in religion at the time, he's not part of the church, he's not Jewish, has an angelic vision from God. The vision says your prayers have come up before God. I want you to send for a guy named Peter. Have him come to you. He's going to talk to you. And so he does. He dispatches a couple of his, uh, of, of his household uh, workers. He sends a respected soldier, and they go off, and they find Peter. Now, the, this is the, the next day, Peter is going up on a rooftop because that's, you know, Kind of where they would go to pray. He goes up on a rooftop. He begins, he's, he's getting ready to pray. The Bible tells us that he was hungry and that he falls into a trance. Maybe he needed a Snickers. But he, he falls into this trance and then something pretty incredible happens. I'm going to start reading in Acts chapter 10, verse 11. He saw heaven open and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles, and earth, uh, reptiles of the earth, 
and birds of the sky, a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, for I've never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. Because there are these ritualistic laws that say you don't eat certain kinds of animals. Okay, you don't eat those. But now this vision is dropping down saying, Peter, kill these things and eat these things that you have thought were unclean. And he says, I can't do it, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean. I'm a very devout Jew and Christian. A second time it happened. And the voice said to him, and this is important, what God has made clean, do not call impure. What God has made is clean. Is clean. Don't call it impure. And then the vision ends. The trance. He comes out of the trance. It's taken, taken back up to heaven. And we've got to make sure we don't miss the point here. Okay, Luke has set this up brilliantly. He's told us about this Italian who is not a Jew, who is hated probably by a lot of Jews just based on principle unless they actually know him. He receives a vision from God who he has been praying to. Peter is someplace else on the roof, goes into this trance, has this vision where he is all of a sudden able to eat these things that he's not been supposed to eat all his life. He refuses to do it because Peter tends to tell God what to do sometimes. Not a good idea. And then... The voice speaks and says, everything I've made is good. Nothing is unclean. Now then, Luke, Luke connects the dots for us. Because this isn't really only about food, is it? I think if it was only about food, the story probably would end right there. It's about something more, something, something deeper than this. If, if, if it was something as simple as, and basic as food, you know, that, that'd be one thing. But if it's something as simple as, as food, and that is all of a sudden acceptable to God, then everything is clean and acceptable to God. This is about people. Do you see that? There's no more important message in the world than that Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit are for people. All people. Does that make sense? All people. This is the message everybody needs to hear, by the way, right? This is good news. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going way ahead of myself. But the grace of God is for all people. No matter where you come from, no matter what your background is, no matter what your past is, and I know that I'm saying the things that I say all the time, but it's because I believe them. And because I think we must practice this. And if we're going to call ourselves Christians, then this is the life we have to live. That God's grace is for all of the, all of the, of the, of the human race. But sometimes, man, we get that wrong. Okay? Now bear with me, because what I'm going to say is not easy. 
And you may not like what I'm about to say. In his book, in his book, uh, a guy named Richard Hayes, he's written a book called Myths America Lives By. And he talks about one of these myths, and it's the, the uh, nature's myth, which basically says that as the world was coming into existence, that America was just sort of built into it by God. And so God has special, uh, has privileged America above all other nations. And it sort of naturally happens. And it's written right into the Declaration of Independence. Because as Jefferson composes these things, he says that all men are created equal, right? Endowed by a creator with certain inalienable rights. And we hold these truths to be what? Self-evident. Now that's good stuff. Jefferson vehemently opposed slavery. He said it degrades both slave and master. Yet when Jefferson died, he was holding slaves. So it makes me think, maybe his idea of all are created equal only applies to certain people. I think he, I don't know if he ever read this, but he missed it in his practice in his praxis. Because while he proclaimed all men are created equal, he did not practice all men and women are created equal. If we are going to call ourselves Christians, we have to get this right. We must get this right. That by God, we understand that all Men, all women, all children, all races are created equal. And if somebody opposes you, stand up to that. If not, quit calling on, we got to quit calling ourselves Christians. That's what makes this story so important. Because this story is a check against all of that stuff. This story calls us, this calls us to our allegiance to Jesus Christ above anything else. We must make sure we are aligned with Jesus. Because God is the creator of all of us. And God's grace is for all of us. Now, Peter's in this trance. He's sort of coming out of it, and he's wondering what's happened when all of a sudden three guys, dispatched from Cornelius the day before, show up at the house. The Spirit says to Peter, hey, these guys are here, they're looking for you, go downstairs, follow them. 
This is about, this is of me. Follow them, listen to them, go with them. And so they do. Look at verse 24. The following day, he entered Caesarea. That's where Cornelius lived. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. When Peter entered, and that's a big deal, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. And then notice what Peter's response is right here. Stand up. I myself am also a man. Peter's getting it. What Peter is saying is, don't bow to me. You and I are equal. Even though we are of differing races and differing opinions and differing backgrounds, I'm a man just like you're a man. Don't bow to me. But tell me why I'm here. Because I don't really know. And then Cornelius says, well, hey, man, I was praying and sudden vision you know that'd be hard to explain right <laughs> especially if you don't know what's going on there was this vision and uh, I was told to go find you and I thought it was crazy but you're here so maybe it was true and then Peter begins to speak And he tells them the good news of Jesus. But you know what he says the first thing? He says, now, this is Peter speaking, now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. God shows no favoritism. Then he goes and he, he, he shares with them the message of Jesus. That he was crucified on a tree, but God raised this man up on the third day and caused him to be seen by all people. And he ate and he drank after he rose from the dead. And he, God commanded us to preach and testify. Peter is doing, he is fulfilling the prophecy that we saw right here in this verse. Look at verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers, in other words, the Jews, the circumcised believers who came with him were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Is that not what happened when the Spirit was poured out on Peter and the other apostles back in Acts chapter 2? Do you remember that? The Spirit of God's poured out. All of a sudden they stand up. They start speaking in tongues. All these other people who were there, they understand. It's not this gibberish language. That's not what tongue speaking is. Speaking in tongues is I'm speaking in one language and you understand it in your language. God's breaking down all the barriers. Okay? He's knocking down all the walls. Okay? Anything that prohibits people from coming to Him, 
He's getting rid of that so all can come in. Why? Because God shows no favoritism. Okay? So he's doing this. And all of a sudden, they see these Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, and they rejoiced. And it's important that Luke says, those who came with them. Why? Because when you're talking about something that's hard to believe, what do you need? You need a witness. Right? God sent the witness along with them. Because guess what's going to happen in the very next chapter? They're going to say, Peter, what were you doing? He's going to say, here's what happened. You don't believe me. You guys right over there were there. Ask them. Okay? Peter responded. He says, can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for, for a few days. It's interesting that it says the Holy Spirit was given before baptism, right? Because that's what we read about the gift of the Holy Spirit comes a part of baptism and the identity of God and all of that stuff, right? But here it's not. It's given before baptism. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Why did it happen? It's a sign from God that God is the writer of this script. See what I'm saying? It's an affirmation to Peter just in case he really didn't thinks he really did need a Snickers. It's an affirmation to Cornelius in his household just in case they believe they actually are crazy. They received the Holy Spirit just like Peter did and it's attested to and he knows it's a sign of the Spirit. The same thing happens to Cornelius' household that happened to Peter and the other apostles. And they say, whoa, we know what that is. That's God's Spirit coming down on them. And so Peter and all the other guys that were with him say, God's doing this. This is a God thing. And then I don't know if Jesus' words go off in the back of my head, uh, back of their head saying, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Do you see what God is doing? Do you know what this is? This is preparing the way for me and you. You realize that? We sit here today in 2018 because of this right here. Because this happened. Because as I look around, there's no ethnic Jews in this room. Right? Unless I'm wrong. We're all Gentiles, right? This is the expanding of the kingdom of God, the opening up of God's kingdom, saying, come on. Come one, come all. All of you, all of you are, are welcome. The sign affirms, confirms that what God is doing is real. You see, what man so many times fails to do, which is love people completely for who they are, not because of what they are and what they've done. When we sometimes fail there, God never fails. 
You hear me? God never fails in that. Don McLaughlin, when he was here, remember him? He said one thing that stuck out. He said, Jesus is always right. Jesus is our example, right? There's a sign that I love, uh, hangs in our kitchen. This is a picture of it. And I don't know if you can read it or not, but it says, it says, because Jesus eats with everyone. This is sort of what we've tried to adopt as part of our rule of life, I guess, in our house. Uh, and it's a reminder more than anything. Not a, look at us, we're so holy. Because, I mean, you guys know me. You know that's not true. <laughs> that was not kind laughter. <laughs> that wasn't either. But, it, yeah, it's true. Thanks. Thanks, Rick. He's my cousin. But it is true. This reminds me that, oh, yeah, God's love for everybody. Jesus ate with everybody, no matter where they came from. And so, if I'm going to wear this name, then I better do what he does, right? I better eat with everybody. And as we've said over and over and over again, and Senior Life Group demonstrated to us last night, what better place to find common ground than around a table? Because when you're eating with somebody, now I understand it can turn contentious, but when you're eating together, you at least have something in common. Food and table. What were the reminders that Jesus gave us of his death and burial and resurrection? Food and wine at a table. Are we making the connections? So here's the community connection for this week. The kingdom of God is open to all. And God forbid that we put up barriers that he's not down. You know, the gospel alone is hard enough, right? We don't need to make it any harder. Our job is to love people the way God does, point people to Jesus, do what we can to help them along the way. Just like Philip did with the Ethiopian eunuch a few weeks ago. Watch the power of Jesus change people's lives. Because that's what he will do. The gospel is for everybody. The kingdom of God is for everybody. Nobody's got that market cornered. Got it? Nobody holds the keys to the kingdom except for one. That's what it's about. This is what I love about this story. Because not only do we see how this all came into existence, it also is a reminder and a check against our own prejudiceness, our own 
willingness to close ourselves off, and ignore or oppress, bring injustice or whatever. It reminds us, not only is it for everybody else, it's for me too. And I'm a recipient of it.